Hey, Strange New Worlds listeners, it's Mike Wong. This is going to be a slightly different kind of episode, one that's based around a piece of writing of mine. Actually, two pieces of writing. Earlier this year, I published a paper in the scientific journal Life about a new definition of life and how it might reshape perspectives in astrobiology, especially in the origins of life field. This was a conceptual article, borderline philosophical, but still very much rooted in scientific principles, and deals with the frontiers of our knowledge of what life is and what life does. The paper introduces a new word to the scientific lexicon, spelled L-Y-F-E, that denotes life in its most general sense. Now, life with a Y looks distinct from life with an I on paper, but to distinguish the two on a podcast, I'm going to have to pronounce it differently. So I'm going to say loif when I mean life with a Y. And you might think that's silly, and you're probably right, but it's a hell of a lot easier than saying life with a Y, life with a Y, life with a Y, over and over and over. Now, I should mention before I go any farther that I co-wrote this paper with my friend, colleague, and fellow Trekkie, Dr. Stuart Bartlett. Stuart is an astrobiologist at Caltech who studies life and complex systems from a fundamental physics perspective, and has made two guest appearances on this show in the past. So, believe it or not, the germ of our paper began along the southern coast of Spain. Stuart and I were driving from the Malaga International Airport to a conference in Granada. The conference was on the origin of life. Actually, the entire conference was on a single, very specific theory for the origin of life. Now, I find that theory to be supremely tantalizing, and wouldn't be at all surprised if it or a very close cousin of it were indeed responsible for the origin of life on Earth. But Stuart and I are also interested in origins elsewhere, elsewhen, elsehow. We're astrobiologists, after all. We're trying to map out those uncharted possibilities of existence. And as we chatted during that long drive from Malaga to Granada, we became increasingly frustrated that we didn't have a word to describe life that is still life, but not like us. Now, the phrase life as we don't know it is often used in astrobiological contexts, but that phrase is kind of long and clunky and also very imprecise. I mean, think about it. Life as we don't know it doesn't tell you at all what we do know about that thing that we don't know very much about, such that we can at least identify it as life. So what is life? About a year after that conversation in Spain, Stuart and I published our paper. It's an open access paper, which means that it's free for anyone in the world to read. You don't need a subscription to a scientific journal or belong to an academic institution that has one. The link is in the show notes, and I would be thrilled if you gave it a shot. But, 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 I also realize that reading scientific papers is not everyone's cup of tea. And that's why I decided to describe the concept of loif for a general audience in a guest blog post for the website Many Worlds, which is this fantastic science communication outlet run by Mark Kaufman and Elizabeth Tasker as part of NASA's Nexus for Exoplanet System Science. 
If you're at all interested in exoplanets and the search for life, or, or life, <laughs> beyond our solar system, then you need to follow Many Worlds. Again, the links are in the show notes. So when I sat down to type this blog post, I quickly realized there are many good ways of describing Loif, but only one logical way. Through Star Trek. And thus my Many Worlds column became basically an episode of Strange New Worlds in written form. So for this episode of the podcast, I'm going to read that essay for you. And then, when I'm done, I'll recap with a few reflections and final thoughts. So here we go. Get ready to be introduced to Loif. Thinking about life, or Loif, through the prism of Star Trek. Written by me, Michael L. Wong, with editorial help from Stuart Bartlett and Mark Kaufman. Read by me, Michael L. Wong. The search for extraterrestrial life is in its early phase still. And the truth is, we don't yet know if life exists beyond our pale blue dot, or if it does, whether it will be easily recognizable or truly bizarre. Predicting what might be out there and how to find it is a hypothesis-driven area of research at present, one that has given rise to hundreds of possible definitions for the life we are looking for. But after grounding ourselves in scientific principles, it may be that our greatest tool is to let our imaginations fly. Science fiction often helps us embrace our ignorance of what might be out there. In the Star Trek universe, our galaxy is teeming with life, both astonishingly familiar and incredibly different. The familiar variety includes Mr. Spock, the USS Enterprise's half-human, half-Vulcan science officer. He is the product of an extraordinary cosmic coincidence, the emergence of nearly identical biochemical machinery on two completely separate worlds. Vulcans, despite their pointy ears, upswept eyebrows, and a nearly religious devotion to bowl cuts, are incredibly similar to humans on the cellular, genetic, and metabolic level. We can share meals, share air, and, yes, share intimacy. Even their green, copper-based blood is not as alien as it might seem. This trait is typical of most mollusks and crustaceans on Earth. But Star Trek also depicts life forms that are incredibly dissimilar from you, me, or Mr. Spock. Take the Horta, for example. This lumpy mass, like a misshapen meatball crossed with a child's volcano science experiment, is a silicon-based life form composed of molten rock and acid. Then there's Q, a non-corporeal being that possesses godlike powers which, it seems, are directed solely upon harassing Captain Jean-Luc Picard. 
There are those purely photonic beings that refuse to entertain the crazy, to them, possibility of organic, solid, liquid life forms. And, of course, there's the Borg. Sinister, cybernetic zombies that proliferate not by cell division or sexual reproduction, but by assimilating outside individuals into their collective consciousness. In Star Trek, there are many instances of life as we know it. Humans, Vulcans, Tribbles, etc. And then there is... everything else. The Horta, the Q, and the Borg compel us to consider wider possibilities for life in our universe. Furthermore, they compel us to create a new vocabulary for defining such possibilities. In a recently published paper, Stuart Bartlett and I introduced a new term, loif, to describe life in its most general sense. We outline four criteria, the four pillars of loif, that represent a necessary and sufficient description of the living state. These are dissipation, autocatalysis, homeostasis, and learning. In our new classification scheme, the word life retains its familiar meaning, referring to life as we know it. In other words, humans and Vulcans, but not Horta. Let's walk through the four pillars one by one. Number one, dissipation, is essentially harnessing usable energy and putting it to work. Imagine a waterfall crashing over a cliff. With a clever enough contraption, one can use the water's kinetic energy to drive any number of useful tasks, including the generation of electricity. Eventually, the originally useful kinetic energy will be dissipated into heat, which is fundamentally difficult to harness. In biology, dissipation takes many forms, from chemical reactions to flows of ions to capturing rays of sunlight. Without the useful work supplied by dissipation of useful energy to less useful energy useful is in fact a well-defined concept in thermodynamics it's impossible to imagine a system being able to perform any of the other pillars. That's why dissipation comes first. Next is autocatalysis, the idea that living systems are self-promoting. This could be on the scale of molecules, where one product leads to another product, which leads back to the original reactants, a chemical cycle, or it could be on the scale of populations, as one bacterium begets two, which each beget two more. Life's activities reinforce themselves in ways that produce positive feedback loops and ever-increasing activity under ideal circumstances. Number three, homeostasis. This refers to life's ability to regulate itself against the chaos of the outside world and from self-destruction. From single-celled organisms buffering their own acidity, to human bodies maintaining steady core temperatures, to nations creating governments with checks and balances, we see myriad examples of biology's vigilant watch over its internal properties. 
Finally, learning is life's ability to record information about its environment and use it to increase its chances of survival. Darwinian evolution is one form of learning in which life on Earth is engaged, operating through trial and error across generational time. Cognitive learning, exhibited by more complex organisms, is one way for life to gain and process information during their lifetimes. Modes of learning are varied, subtle, and not yet fully understood. Any system that performs all of these pillars constitutes loif. Even systems that don't perform the pillars exactly as we do here on Earth. Consider the Borg from Star Trek. Their cybernetic collective does not learn in a vertical fashion, such as by bequeathing one's genes to one's descendants or transferring knowledge to one's students. Instead, the Borg learn horizontally through assimilating other life forms into their hive mind. They do not generate their own novelty. They allow others to do so, then add those civilizations' biological and technological distinctiveness to their own. This vast library of knowledge allows them to quickly adapt to challenges and spread autocatalytically like a highly virulent disease across the galaxy. The four pillars of Loif are also indifferent to the material from which the system is made. So the silicon-based Horta is very much a Loif, as are the extra-dimensional Q. In real life, Saturn's moon Titan offers a tantalizing location for the existence of Loif, where hypothetical liquid methane-based organisms might exist in a much different modality than Earth's water-based life. If the Enterprise were to survey Titan and find methane-based organisms, Mr. Spock might indeed feel compelled to report, It's Loif, Jim but not as we know it. Because the pillars of Loif are all abstract processes rather than a list of essential components, they have the potential to reshape our approach to origins of life research. At the outset, it seems obvious that any theory explaining the origin of life on Earth must square with two things, the nature of the early Earth and the nature of life today. Unfortunately, there is a great deal of uncertainty regarding the nature of early Earth. Geologists read layers of rock like pages in a book to uncover the stories from our planet's past. But the constant churning of plate tectonics has essentially ripped all but a few of the oldest pages from their binding, replacing them with new pages that will, too, eventually become recycled. At the same time, trying to infer the chemical nature of life's origins by observing life today is confounded by a haze of horizontal gene transfer and the possibility of multiple origins. Our best technique for identifying the features of ancient life, molecular phylogenetics, can at best probe as far back as the last universal common ancestor, or LUCA, in fact, it may even be impossible to trace back this far. 
we are blind to developments that occurred between the origin of life and Luca, and whether those stages of life bore any molecular similarities to us. These uncertainties haven't stopped scientists from trying to paint a picture of our own beginnings, but with little evidence to bound the problem, many different portraits fit the same spotty description. Unsurprisingly, there is great division among scientists regarding the way that life began. Many explanations for the origin of life take the form of an X-first theory, where X could be one of several features of life as we know it—template-based replication of nucleic acid polymers, proton-phosphate coupling in metabolism, or compartmentalization in lipid membranes. To constrain the problem of the origin of life, scientists often craft narratives where some X—replication, metabolism, or compartmentalization—is the most fundamental aspect of life. They then focus their efforts on the creation of highly specific building blocks associated with that X. Examples include RNA in shallow ponds or ancient metabolic pathways in deep-sea hydrothermal vents. However, the concept of LOIF offers us new targets beyond the narrow range of molecules that are assumed, but not proven, to have played a role in life's origins. We suggest using the pillars of LOIF as signposts. Look for systems that perform the four pillars— not just those that crank out a shopping list of prebiotic foodstuffs. Aiming for the pillars of life could lead us down some truly unexpected roads, be it combinations of chemicals that had never been considered before, or a greater exchange of ideas between the origins of life and artificial life communities. Let us not forget that the modern world was built from ideas that seemed crazy at first. More importantly, the search for life might teach us something deeper about who and why we are. In the finale of Star Trek The Next Generation, Q takes Picard some three and a half billion years into the past to witness the origin of life on Earth. At the base of a cliff where volcanic lava meets a roiling sea, they study a primordial goo in which Q states, You see this? This is you. I'm serious. Right here. Life is about to form on this planet for the very first time. A group of amino acids are about to combine to form the first protein. The building blocks <laughs> of what you call life. While this is one possible conception of life's origins, scientists may never truly know or agree upon exactly what occurred on our planet all those eons ago. But even without a time-bending intervention from Q, perhaps we will one day discover that there are unifying principles behind the living state foundations of the physical world that allow all forms of life to materialize in myriad environmental realms. The concept of life encourages us to dream wide. Not only should we ask, 
how did life originate, but also why does life emerge? In other words, let us explore the initial conditions, dynamics, and interactions that could give rise to the emergence of each of the four pillars in phenomena across the universe. With this mindset, all avenues of origins of life research can be valid and promising. Loif invites us to yes-and ideas for the emergence of living processes, rather than poo-pooing them simply because they are not our own pet favorites. By pursuing all geochemical environments with interest, along with a host of synthetic scenarios, we may come to understand that the underlying principles by which inanimate matter produces the four pillars of Loif can operate in a variety of systems. Perhaps life exactly as we know it is rare, but Loif could be an emergent organizational state embedded in the physics of the universe. While it is entirely possible that nothing remotely resembling the Horta, the Q, or the Borg actually await us among the stars, something even more exotic might. Indeed, nature has repeatedly proven more creative than human imagination. Think how often we hear, scientists never anticipated, blah blah blah. Hopefully, the four pillars of life give us an even better chance of seeing the universe for what it is, a playground of possibilities, differences, and commonalities, and open our minds to an even richer version of the timeless question, are we alone? Alright, so that's my Many Worlds column about the definition of Loif. If you want to check out the written version of that article, there's a link in the show notes. Now, the word Loif has begun to take a foothold. Many news outlets have written pieces about our paper, Loif was recently featured as the Guardian's Word of the Week, and it has been translated into at least two other languages so far, Spanish and Danish. If you like the concept of Loif, then I encourage you to go out into the world and use that word. But if you don't, then don't. You won't offend me. And I want to be clear about this. You see, as an astrobiologist, it's almost like I had an obligation to try to define life at some point. In fact, it's a long-standing human tradition that dates back centuries, if not millennia. Life may or may not become the norm, but I do realize that it is definitely not the final definition of life that the human race will ever come up with. It may not even be the final definition of life that Stuart and I come up with. But here's the critical thing. Whether you agree with our exact definition, whether you like the word L-Y-F-E, whether you like the pronunciation loif, that's not important. What is important is that we should all have a word that describes life in its most general sense. Because new language creates new spaces in our minds. This additional vocabulary allows us to split the question, are we alone, into two questions. Is there life out there? And is there life out there? Now, the difference may seem subtle, but those questions are in fact scientifically and philosophically distinct. 
And finding the answers to those questions will teach us more about what we are, how we came to be, and why we came to be. It'll shed light on our place in the universe. We define loif such that life is a subset of loif. It's possible that we live in a universe where life is rare, but loif is common. In that case, we should expect the unexpected, because loif could literally be waiting for us on the planet next door. Or perhaps we live in a universe where life and loif are identical sets, that the four pillars of loif can only be satisfied by life. And that's profound as well. Or perhaps we live in the Star Trek universe, where life and loif are both prolific. It's the best of both worlds, as they say. And personally, I'm hoping for that one, but only exploration can tell. So let's get to work. And I'll see you out there.